thanks to Midriff's sponsor, Earthquaker Devices. Earthquaker Devices are continually identified as leaders in the music gear industry for their commitment to creating a better, more inclusive, diverse, and welcoming music culture. You've probably seen it yourself, right? They are intentional in this work, and they take the time to do it well, and you can see it in almost everything they do, right? From sponsoring podcasts like this one to their representation in social media and artists they endorse, right? And there's probably other things that you're, we're not even seeing, right, that are behind the scenes. And then there's their truly unique, creative, inspiring pedals. Did I mention they make pedals? They're made in by hand in Akron, Ohio by like a whole pile of really, really awesome folks. Their pedals are useful and easy to use tools for like any instrument as a guitar, bass, synth, drums, whatever. And they make pretty much every type of pedal under the sun. Whether you want an octave pedal, you want a distortion pedal, you want a fuzz, you want some modulation, they've got it for you, including a few super affordable pedals that you can grab for under $100, right? Amazing. If you hear folks sing their praises, there is a reason why. And I personally played Earthquaker pedals for over 10 years, and I'm proud to have them as sponsors on this podcast and to have been able to work with them as well. And you can learn more about Earthquaker Devices at EarthquakerDevices.com. Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I'm your host, Hillary Jones. So I hope everyone is having a good fall so far. I am getting back into the swing of things over here. Uh, I've had some family in town. We've done some fall adventuring. Things are feeling good. Uh, my band, Hansy, finished our demo, and I'll link to the show notes if you're curious about that for some reason. We have a bunch of shows coming up in Providence and Boston areas you know, between now and December, including next week at Lost Bag in Providence with Como Que Wow, Crossbite, and Cheap City. And also we will be joining today's guest, Talia Zadek, and her band E on a couple of shows in December as well, which is rad. If you haven't seen E before or really any of her projects, you are in for a real treat. Definitely check them out. Also, also, I'll be in Boston, specifically Somerville, uh, November 10th at the Crystal Ballroom for the Stopbox Sonic 14th anniversary celebration, where I'll be doing a little spiel. But more importantly, there will be a ton of rad builders, including copper sound pedals, electronic audio experiments, fuzzrocious, old blood noise endeavors, earthquaker devices, God City Instruments, Mask Audio Electronics, and Red Panda maybe more. I don't know. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, hop up there if you are in the neighborhood. So today's guest, Talia Zedek, is a, a, just a genius level songwriter. And she's used mostly guitar and vocals as her tools in her projects, starting back with Uzi and Live Skull in the 80s, Come in the 90s, who toured with like Sonic Youth, Nirvana, Dinosaur Jr., among many others. Her ongoing solo work as uh, the Talia Zedek band and currently the band E with Jason Sanford from the band Neptune and a series of other awesome drummers. Currently Boston musical sweetheart Ernie Kim. She's in a million other projects as well. She's always creating and her output is across the board. Amazing whether she's creating like minimal quiet work or like clanging experimental noise rock. It's it's just all good. It's so good. <laughs> As a heads up, there was a weird audio thing happening during the recording of our interview where I was like hearing myself at a lag, but we like kind of tried to workshop it, couldn't identify where it was coming from. So I just dealt with the weirdness during the interview and we sort of like crossed our fingers and hoped it was something in the program and not the recorded audio. But it turns out 
it was. <laughs> and I want to give a huge shout out to Chris from Ruinous Media, who edits the show and makes it sound great and managed to do a great job repairing not only what seemed to be a mic bleed, but also a lag between the two tracks. Ugh. <laughs> it's bad. Uh, but much, much better now. Definitely listenable. And it's going to sound great. And mostly because in our interview, Talia talks about you know, she'll share about gear, she'll talk about songwriting, her band, sexism in the industry in the past versus now, way more. You know, I would listen to her anytime. So I think you'll enjoy it regardless. And um, yeah, she's amazing. So I hope you enjoy it. And here we go. Welcome to Midriff. Thank you very much. Very excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've wanted to have you on for so long, and I'm really I I'm just glad that we were finally able to make it happen. So feels Me like too. a dream. Okay, so for folks who for some reason might not be familiar with you, can you introduce yourself? Your names, your names, your name, just one. If you want more than one, you can. Uh, okay. <laughs> pronouns, a little bit about yourself and your background with music. Okay. Well, my name is Talia Zedek. Um, she, her are my pronouns. Um, I've been playing music for a really long time. I started pretty young. Sort of, I always loved, loved music, and I start, probably started like picking up like my first instrument at 10, but um, mm. it was a recorder in <laughs> the school recorder choir. But, um, you know, I continued in my teenage years, um, I picked up guitar and I was playing out probably by the time I was about 18 or 19, I was performing in clubs and stuff in the Boston area mm -hmm. in kind of like the early sort of punk art punk scene in Boston back then. And, uh, yeah, I kind of continued on from then and here I am some like, you know, 40 years later, <laughs> still doing it. A true success. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like you had like about, was it like a five year, three year, four years marinating before you started playing out? Is that accurate? Well, I started really being into music and really wanting to kind of like be a musician or, you know, be in a band when I was in high school. So, and I mm -hmm. didn't really have bands my last year of high school, I, I joined a band. I was, grew up in D.C., and I was um, kind of sneaking into the punk rock club down there at the time. It was called Atlantis, and saw all sorts of bands like the Cramps and the Urban Verbs and Patti Smith. Um, the Ramones played in the D.C. area a lot. A lot of those New York mm. bands were coming down. So I joined, and there was a kind of a, a punk, a D.C. punk scene, and bands like the Deceits and the Urban Verbs and... Um, who else? Like the Raz, the Nurses. And anyway, I joined, I answered an ad in the weekly paper then, which were things that we used to have way back in the olden days, and they'd have <laughs> classified <laughs> sections and, you know, musicians mm -hmm. want it. So um, I answered an ad and I, it turned out, you know, it was, got into this band and we called ourselves 
fingers of shame. Um, and I was, I joined, <laughs> I joined as a, a guitar player. I was probably like 16 or 17 and everyone else in the band was out of high school except for me. I was like much mm-hmm. younger than the rest of them. One of the guys, um, had been in a kind of well-known band called the Shirkers who had released a single called Drunken Disorderly on the, the limp label. Like London had the stiff label and mm-hmm. DC had the limp label. I guess it's now when I think about it, it's amazing because I recorded in Don Zantera's studio, Inner Ear Studio, which um, in That's his basement, bonkers. which I guess he has now yeah. since moved it back to his basement. But then he then went on to record, and he recorded like all the punk bands on the DC scene and then went on to a long everyone. career with Fugazi and Minor Threat and yeah. everyone. So yeah, so I guess, I guess it was kind of serious, you know, I guess, but I wasn't, I didn't actually perform, but I, we never played out and then I, I left D.C. I went to, to go to college in Boston and um, moved to Boston in 79. And um, that's when I really started playing out. Mm. You're like, I'm done with these fingers of shame. I'm going <laughs> to move on. I can't even remember <laughs> what happened. I just remember my first recordings. My first experience in, in the recording studio was was terrible. I was just like, I, I was like, you know, just hearing yourself play. And I don't know. Oh, it's yeah. just kind of like... You know, I was I was like sixteen or seventeen. I couldn't really I, I could play okay, but like not really that great. You know? Yeah, it's. I feel like the whole recording experience, if you're not used to it, it's like it's so weird. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. it's kind of surreal. Like wearing headphones and you know. Uh, yeah, but it's interesting. You're talking about the recording thing, and I hadn't really thought about this before. There aren't a lot of jobs where it's like what you're doing immediately immediately gets mirrored back to you. For your own consumption and that of others, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, there's a, you know, if you don't have self-awareness going in, you're going to have to get it at some point, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So obviously you have a extensive career. You've been in eight trillion bands. All of them are amazing. And I, you know, showered myself with your catalog oh, <laughs> over okay. the last few days. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was... It, it was really beautiful. I just, I appreciate everything that you've done for music in general. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So what I, what I do want to do talk about with, you said your first, we talked a little bit about your first experience recording and like a little bit about your first music stuff. What was your actual first guitar? The first guitar I owned, I guess, was, um, it was an acoustic guitar and it was, a and actually I still I don't have it, but it's with living with a friend of mine in Portland, Maine, and it's still getting mm. used. And it was um, an acoustic guitar. It was a court. It was called a Cortez. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it was a, yeah. a blonde blonde Cortez. So that was that was my first guitar, and then my first electric guitar was a Gibson Marauder. Nice. That I had for many <laughs> many years. That I bought off a friend in high school. I bought her um her her Gibson Marauder and her PV Classic for. Oh man, what a combo! I know, I know. And Marauder is not a great sounding guitar. It might have somewhat contributed to my tra- trauma in my first recording session, but um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of got, I kind of moved on from that guitar as soon as I was able to. But, but I, actually, I don't want to. I feel bad now. I'm, I'm bad talking about guitars. Like now, looking back on it, I had a really nice neck and everything. It was just, I think, um, are, are Marauders really heavy? I can't even remember now. I think it was maybe kind of heavy. 
I'm just imagining your your 16 year old self carrying this giant PB classic and this like super heavy PB. Uh, I mean Gibson. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a classic wasn't that wasn't that big or heavy really because it was a I believe it was a transistor. Two twelve, isn't it? I don't know. I think so. In my mind, it's PV, and so it's automatically a thousand pounds, and a two twelve, which means it's additionally huge. So, I don't know. I don't know if it was. A, it might not have been a two twelve. Okay, maybe I'm making it up. The well, PV, you might be the right. PV, PV. You know, I was probably a lot stronger back then. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that you can do when you're 16. I, 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 I get it. I don't I, remember it being heavy, but yeah. Um. Okay. So, and the Marauder had like a three. Is that like three single coils? Or something. Oh God, I don't. I wish I could remember. I don't even I don't remember. remember. It was so long ago. I um, feel like the pickups are really weird on that, which yeah. maybe is part of the issue. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a dark sounding guitar, mm -hmm. um, and it did have a really nice neck, I think. But um, it's kind of mm -hmm. thin and kind of narrow. It's probably probably a good size for me. Good nice. fit for me in that way. Yeah. <laughs> what it what it lacked in some things, it made up in others, perhaps. The person that I bought it from was a, a rather short girl in high school so she probably she's the one that chose it her name is marla mm -hmm. i still remember mm -hmm. and so you started with that and then what where, what did you move to after that i think my first guitar after that was spacing albums i think i might have had like a strat copy or something i saw an early i saw an early video from come from like 91 Right. And it looked like it was like a super strat or something. Was it like yeah. kind of almost like a like a dusty rose color? That wasn't maybe? mine actually. Like oh okay, all I right. I was borrowing that one. It was my friend Fernando's. Like I borrowed a bunch of guitars. Yeah, I was always borrowing guitars, and then there was this. I was playing with this guy Jerry, and I really loved his guitar. And uh, I don't know. I just <laughs> I just can't remember. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I had a Dan Electro. Oh, okay. Or like a short scale silver tone that I played, and um, and then I also had another guitar. It might have been some kind of Strat copy, but um, I didn't really. I used to borrow guitars a lot. I was pretty broke, mm -hmm. so um, I mm -hmm. don't know whose guitar I had. Then I had my friend Jerry's guitar, which I loved for a long time, which I still have. And he was like, he was one of those guys that like was like always trying out a different guitar. You know, like he'd get really bored and he loved to take them apart, mm -hmm. rip them apart, and. You know, so there was one that he had for a long time that I was like, you know, asked if I could buy one of the one that I really liked from him, which was a Tele Deluxe. And he said, well, I won't sell it to you, but you can borrow it indefinitely. But you can <laughs> you can never sell it. If <laughs> you don't want it anymore, give it back to me. And I still have that one to this day. That's the one you still play, right? Um, I don't play that one anymore, but I still Not use that, that in okay. Come. That was the one that I used in Come. That was in Come when I got that. And um, for a while... In Live Skull, I had really cool, like, I think it was like some kind of Gibson hollow body. But, hmm. like, I was kind of like, I, a couple of times I sold a bunch of gear. So, I, yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't, I can't go back that far with my guitars. Yeah, I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, the one I play now that I've had for, for years, though, is um, the Hagstrom one. Yep. So, that's, that's my main guitar now. Yeah. It, I have never played one of those before. And it's, it, it's it reminds me a little bit of like a Dan Electro and then it's made of it seems like it's made of like a plastic of some or like a heavy yeah non-wood material I think it's well it was made out of um 
the Hagstrom one. I mean, they went on to make a lot of different ones, but the one I play yeah. is pretty old. Like one of the original ones. They used to beat these low-budget guitars, Kent. They also made these Kent mm-hmm. guitars. Oh, I don't think I realized that they made them. Okay. Yeah, I didn't either, but um, it's a Swedish company. And then, then they became Hagstrom, and, um, and it was uh, – they made accordions. And so that's right. why they've got those weird switches because uh, the earlier models, when they switched from accordion to guitar – they had all yeah. this accordion parts. So the back's this kind of pleather thing. And yeah. I think it might be press wood. It's not super heavy, though. It's actually a pretty light guitar. And then it's got that nice. sort of plastic covering that, and a little, like, you know, metallic-looking grill that doesn't do anything. Like, a lot of it's for decoration, you know? Yeah. The accordion thing, like, that makes a ton of sense when yeah. you look at it. Like, all the, you're like, oh, these are parts that would have been used on right, accordion. Right, little buttons and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even that, like, the, whatever, it looks like grill cloth or something. Yeah, that... it's, it's like plastic, but it looks like metal. Oh, okay. All right. Hmm. Yeah, that, it's fascinating. But it has such a cool tone. Like, it's definitely yeah. unique. Yeah. Um. So why do you, what's, what has drawn you to that one that you, to keep you playing it for all these years um i just i just love the tone like i always Mm -hmm. i had a really hard time kind of finding my sound and um Mm. and i kind of would struggled with sound a lot like for quite a while and um like the i I love the tele deluxe but it was really kind of like mid-rangey and i wanted something Mm. that would cut through a little bit more but so yeah the hagstrom it was you know really beautiful to play and really easy to play and um but then also and I had a whammy bar which I needed at the time but I, I love right. that it had such a deep tone it really does I mean for a very light guitar so it's very like a lot of low and a, a lot of high and mm-hmm. kind of like not a lot of mid which which for me suits suits my, is what I like yeah you wanted something that was like able to be heavy but also like crisp yeah. kind of yeah 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 that makes sense I've seen you play both the Deluxe and the Hagstrom. Do you have a decision? Is there a decision-making process about when you're using which? Um, I pretty much I use the Hagstrom pretty much for everything, but for Cum I use the the Deluxe because that's the okay. that's the guitar that I mostly used in Cum. I used the Hagstrom actually on the last couple of records, but for some reason when I play with Cum, I just always still use the Deluxe, mm-hmm. and it's a little beefier. What is up with the the whammy bar on that? Because it looks like a strat like <laughs> situation on on the deluxe. I on know, the that, deluxe, that, I mean that that guitar is like so ripped up, and like all the pickups have been ripped up. My friend Jerry kind of like bastardized it. Um, <laughs> I had a luthier look at it actually because that it I needed some work done, and he did a bunch of work on it. He it's actually not as bad as I thought it was, but it's kind of like an unusual. I thought it didn't have the original neck, but he said, no, they did. It had this kind of strat kind of neck. Yeah. It's like a, from the 70s, but um, the whammy bar, I have no idea where it came from um, at all. <laughs> I've just never seen anything like it. And I was like, I I love that it's there because I'm a whammy person. Uh, okay. Uh, so, yeah. It's not so the original I'm, I'm pro. Certainly not. That's why I was like, yeah. hmm. <laughs> I have questions. Um, as far as your amp, you do... Do you usually use a twin? Yeah, a twin. Yeah, twin reverb, yeah. yeah. And I guess like compared to the PB Classic, like that's still pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I settled on a twin that I that I really liked, 
and I found one that I really liked like years ago and I've stuck with it. I, before that, I played through a few different amps. I think an amp that I had that I really loved that got blown up by a friend was um, mm. the Ampeg VT40. And Ooh, if, yeah. I, if I could mm-hmm. find one of those again, mm-hmm. I'd love I'd love to get it, but I just haven't it's really hard to you just don't see them around anymore. Yeah, they're but, not um, super common. Yeah. So that those was cool. that was a short lived favorite amp. And I, I borrowed a lot of different amps. I played through a music man that I liked and um mm-hmm. then I had I had some some bad twins too. Because that's the thing with twin reverbs, like they're they all are kind of pretty different from each other. Um mm-hmm. Or they used to be when you buy them used, you know, because it all depends on what speakers or tubes the previous owner put in them. But um, yeah, I have now I've been with the same seventies Fender Twin for a while now. Yeah. Do you? Um, I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's different for different projects. But do you have? Or like, I guess that's part of the question too. Like, what do you? What do you do for a pedal setup right now? Um. Pedal setup right now is like it kind of depends on it depends on who I'm playing with because I've got a few different yeah. bands. Um, if I'm doing kind of solo or duo stuff, then it's usually this um, overdrive pedal I bought recently during the pandemic from this Dutch guy that worked at this um, equipment rental company I've used a lot. And um, mm-hmm. so he sent out. We know each other because I would. Go when I would go over to Europe, I was rent equipment from them, and um, yeah. During the pandemic, he kind of wrote to everyone who used, you know, who was none of us were on tour, obviously, and he was also out of work, and he, he was also a sound man, and um, he had started he started building pedals, and he had this um this one pedal, this this override pedal that I was really interested in. Um, it's called Long Distance Drive, and it's really mm-hmm. weird, and I I don't even exactly know how it works and he doesn't either because when I asked him like what are these <laughs> buttons do he's just like I don't know it just makes my guitar sound good so I've been using that one for um solo stuff and then I use what was my overdrive pedal now I use it more as a distortion pedal and then okay. I have a another distortion pedal that an old bandmate Dave Curry made for me um and I think I think he based it like on a turbo rat perhaps okay but he built it himself and um and that's what i use for kind of like crazy fuzz leads and stuff like that yeah yeah but then i also <laughs> yeah with different bands i then with e i have a completely different setup mm-hmm. what do you use for e for e i have i have this stuff that's called actually i'm gonna have to look at it hang on a sec yeah yeah the name is the name is so weird so I have this pedal called, it's like a double overdrive, and it's called Total Spac Vibes Right Now. What? <laughs> and uh, it's a, I don't even know the name of the company. It's a Dwarfcraft. Oh, okay, cool. Device. And it's, yeah. um, it's a double, it's a double um, overdrive. One has one pedal. I love it. One thing that says go, the other one says harder. So I, I, I use that a lot for, I use that with E, I use that. I use, um, an electro harmonics tremolo pedal. Mm-hmm. Um, I use an earthquake device dispatcher reverb pedal. I use, um, a Tokai distortion pedal mm. and, um, also the Ibanez tube screamer, which I also use on, um, for my more solo stuff and, 
Yeah. With the TZ band. For for TK, like what is what are you what are you playing in that situation? Because I've never seen you all before. Oh my god! Yeah, that band like we're we're not together anymore, unfortunately. Oh, okay, fun. all right. Yeah, that that's kind of over. But um, I was for folks pl- who it's more of a uh, kind of like a noise project, like right. Or I don't know what you want to call it, but yeah, I know it's it's it's, it's quite strange. It's almost experimental. It's experimental, yeah. yeah. I was playing clarinet and guitar and going through okay, like okay. a lot of different effects and stuff like that, yep, and yep. loops. And um, I wasn't, there was also a, a vocalist who was going through a bunch of stuff. And then a guy that was kind of doing a lot of field recordings. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah. That was my pretty, other question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <pretty weird stuff. laughs> yeah. Nice. Listening to some other interviews with you two talking about like your, the way that you interact with other guitar players. Um, it seems like you're taking different, you know, different places where sometimes you're trying to get them to intertwine. Sometimes you're trying to have them be a little bit more separate sonically with E in particular. Can you explain what that setup is? And then like, talk about like, how you make decisions about like how things are going to sound or what the interplay is of the guitars? Yeah. I mean, with, with E it's like, it, it has definitely evolved over the years. So it started mm-hmm. with me and Jason, 10 years ago, we started like playing together in 2013. It was just, just me and him, um, just kind of messing around. Um, we were both kind of in between projects a little bit. And then we started coming up with some, some tunes and then we realized that they were all in the key of E. And, uh, (laughs) and I think, I think like at that time, like we were really into like just having songs with like, that are all one chord, but like, Mm -hmm. like making it, really interesting but always like being kind of in one key um we started working with this drummer who used to live in providence i feel like you probably know him do you know alec tisdale oh yeah for sure yeah Yeah. so alec alec was our our first drummer and um okay and that influence yeah that influenced our sound a lot he's a really great drummer and a really but also Mm -hmm. a really unusual drummer Mm -hmm. like he was actually like i saw him like we knew we wanted a drummer, and then I saw him play with that. He had that band, Volcano Kings, I think they yep. were called. And he totally blew my mind. He's like, such a great drummer. But then when I actually played with him, I was like, this guy is like so hard to play with, because, but great. Because he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he played, just played like really weird stuff, you know, and it wasn't yeah. like, you know, just like, okay, this is in 4-4, you know, like I'll just. So I'd say, you know, that all sh- shaped our sound. But then, then Alec left, and then we had Gavin McCarthy mm-hmm. um, from Karate joined, and he was the one that we recorded with, and he was like a really different, a different feel, and it changed. Yep. It changed the way me and Jason played together. Um, things got got a lot more complex. But and now we're playing with Ernie Kim, and it's kind of like become this. <laughs> I know he's really great. It's become yeah, a kind of awesome. total different thing, and um, mm-hmm. we're, our sound is is definitely changing. I think, like with Gavin, after the last record, I think Jason was like, "I think we've done this. We kind of did four records with with Gavin." Yeah. Um, and then we're like, okay, "We should change a little bit." And there were things that that Jason wanted to try. So now this this new thing is is going to be pretty different. We're working on on getting ready to record a new record with Ernie right now, actually. Oh, awesome. That's great. Yeah. I'm very and excited to hear it's this. It's going to be pretty mm-hmm. different, you know. I mean, with E, like, we kind of, like, try to be, like, everyone really open to everyone else. So it, we really do 
write the stuff together, you know, and Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, like the drummer will tell me what to play on guitar and that'll be fine, Mm -hmm. you know, like and stuff. It just kind of, it's very kind of like try to try to all like compose together, you know, but um, collaborative group effort. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. But I, so as far as your guitar is concerned, you're so Jason's playing a guitar that he made out of metal for folks who aren't familiar. Um, and you're playing mostly your Hagstrom. Yep, I'm playing my Hagstrom, yeah. And then sonically trying to take up different space. We are. And generally, I, yeah. Actually changed, the new stuff is going to be really, really different. So mm. what we were doing was, you know, was, there's no bass player, so just two guitars and drums. And um, me and Jason would kind of take turns kind of holding down the sort of bass roll a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jason started pretty soon into the thing, started building all these like pedals. It's more what he's mm-hmm. into now. He used to make more instruments, but now he's like more like makes these pedals and sequencers and stuff. And that was taking a lot of the low end up and kind of changing what I was doing a, a little bit. So I started playing a little bit less. Yeah. For the new stuff, I think Jason, you know, wanted me to take over more of the bass stuff. So I'm actually experimenting with having a double pickup, like a latch on pickup that you can just do you do that i when i have done that that from you i feel like no i feel like i feel like bernie (laughs) was like oh hillary your name came up when you know (laughs) no no i i buy i would buy amp so i would have a bass amp have a like a pog or like an octave pedal and the low end would go into a bass amp okay but how can you just get all the low how can you not did you have two different pickups just use the wet Nope, just use the wet from the from the pedal and the wet so the so just the octave splits into oh, the amp. Okay. And then the regular out the regular dry output goes to your guitar amp then. That's how you do it. <laughs> well, so that was that was, you know, is I did you know, do something like Hillary, but so actually what I'm doing though is 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 a little bit more complicated. But um Yeah. It's also using an octave thing, but just cool. on two strings and and not on everything. Yep. Yeah, there's there's also like there's Boss makes like I think it's like an OC five or something. It's like a slightly different version of a pedal where you can actually um, select the frequencies that are doubled. So it's okay. like you can set it so that only fre- like like your E and your A string, for example, or something kind of in that general realm would would have an octave it's kind of cool so i don't know um, that's called an oc5 i think it's an O or maybe not an oc5 uh yeah maybe it's an oc5 if you look it up i'll i'll look it up and find it and send it to you anyway Thanks. what can't they do boss uh <laughs> you, you don't mind though i don't want to like i don't want to like steal oh no i don't use that no 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 that's do it you do you, i i think it's it's fun so you should do do it more low end more of the time yeah yeah i i, yeah. Mean, I go kind of I'm a little bit of a no bass player type person, but but I I mean I'm not because I'm not anti bass player, but bass and I do play with with bass players, but I I also enjoy um, having that space open a little bit. Uh, do you for your guitar practice when you were learning? Was there like a, a process? Like, did you have a teacher or did, were you self taught? Do you do theory stuff? Like, what's what's your learning experience with guitar? 
I mean, I've done a lot of sort of different type stuff. Um, definitely when I was first learning, I just had a friend who played guitar who showed me, or her older brother showed me, and I just had like mm -hmm. a chord book and like a song book, you know, a Bob Dylan song book and played simple folk stuff. And then yeah. I, I took some lessons from a friend of my brother's. My, I've had older brothers, like he's like two years older than me, and he had a friend that played electric guitar and was really into blues. He was like really, really into Eric Clapton and everything. So mm -hmm. then he taught me like kind of like the blues scale. I took some lessons from him, you know, a, a few, and he showed me the scale. And then I got really into like kind of blues stuff and um, mm -hmm. playing lead guitar. And um, oh, and then so then I and then I took lessons actually at the local music shop from a little bit from this jazz guy. And not because I was into jazz, but that's just who that's I ended fair. up with a teacher. Yeah. And he was pretty cool. He was always dressed in this like powder blue leisure suits because he had he was on his way to some. <laughs> some cocktail lounge to play, you know. And he was he was a hilarious guy. I still remember his name is Dave Davenport. I think his claim to fame was I think he might have played with the Steve Miller band at some point. Ooh. But um, he was kind of like a real like jazz catch. Like so it's on the right hand, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> like I could never really quite get it, but he'd always be like, you got to tap your foot. It's like all about like the rhythm, you know. It's all about the right hand, and, you know. Like, you know, he taught me these hard chords, and then I was kind of like, "Why would I ever play this chord? I don't like really." <laughs> so, but, so he was my, but he was a he was a nice guy, and it was he was fun, and he would have like mm -hmm. jam sessions for his students, like over at his house sometimes. So we'd go over there, oh, and, cool. like, yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of jammed a lot, like I played with a lot of different people, and um, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if that still happens. I was just kind of like probably partially like. The area that I went to high school in, which was kind of like suburban, but like not like a subway or anything. It was like pretty isolated suburbia. And yeah, yeah, we yeah. did a lot of stuff outside and we spent a lot of time smoking pot and playing guitar in someone's yard or basement. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that kind of. Mm -hmm. the, we mm -hmm. had to entertain ourselves. So it wasn't, wasn't a lot of entertainment around. So I did that a lot. I'd play, I'd play a lot, you know. Yeah, people would bring their guitar to school, high school, and you know, you'd learn songs from other kids mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah, so I did that, and I did take a have. Then later, I did take a couple theory classes. Mm -hmm. I did a I did a one of those summer courses at Berkeley. Um, mm -hmm. I learned a little bit of theory, and I, I had done a little bit of theory in college too, like just one class. But I kind of I kind of liked it. I I found it very interesting, and um. Mm -hmm. Because I was kind of into playing like leads then, and so like the way scales work off different stuff. Yeah, I know it's not for everyone, but I I found it interesting. Oh, I also should add that I played like clarinet all through junior high and high school in the band and orchestra and everything. So right, I, right. I could read music and stuff. So I had I had kind of like a few different things going on. I was kind of a com yeah. I wasn't totally self taught, but I didn't I didn't go that far with lessons. I felt like. Or theory. I mean, with theory, I took kind of beginning theory, and I was kind of like, okay, this is this is enough. Like, how many more like permutations of <laughs> eight notes? You know what I mean? It can just get kind uh -huh. of like crazy, like with the ninths and the thirteenths and the flat third, five, seven. You know, like, and it's just kind of like, you know. Yeah. But um, but it, it was fun learning different chords. I think, though, you know, I definitely. Yeah. What. Well, I I mean, I feel like you have such a unique style and you're playing in this way where it's like 
their their chords that their voicings that you might not always hear, um, which make it more interesting, I think. And so that's I think that's why I was asking is like, is that are you coming at that? like you know intentionally or is it like you're just kind of like these are the finger these are the patterns that I like or is it like I'm intentionally creating this like inversion of this chord or whatever <laughs> not not intentionally no and it's like actually yeah. it takes me forever to figure out my own songs like if I'm going back to some like come stuff <laughs> yeah. like I have no idea what I was playing and like <laughs> I don't know what the chord is called because it's a lot of just like triads and stuff and that just mm. I just like come up with my chords just from messing around, you know, yeah. and, oh, this sounds cool. And um, not from any theory thing. Yeah, Though that I, was why I was, that's where I was coming at with that. Because I was like, I need to know about these chords. Yeah. Where are they coming from? Though I know enough, I know enough theory that if I'm playing with someone and they are like, I don't understand what you're doing. Can you tell me what that chord that is? Mm-hmm. I could be like, hmm. And then I could. You can reverse engineer it. Yeah, I could reverse engineer yeah. it and kind of tell them, well, it's kind of like an A with like a you know, A9 or something, you know, but like, but, um, yeah, that's not how I came up with it. Like it's kind of, got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So I want to scoot in a little bit to talk more about kind of your experience with gender identities and gear. Mm -hmm. Are you good for that? Yeah, sure. Cool. So I guess, is there, is there one area or one like musical space where you've had more like challenges than others like with regard to gender and identities and gear would it, you know could be live performances recording you know buying gear whatever it might be like is there how's that shown up for you yeah i mean it's it's you know i've definitely experienced a lot of sexism with that kind of stuff i mean when i was younger it used to be really bad the worst would be like with like sound people who are like mm, you know mm-hmm. just really like the one thing i hate the most like like a sound person actually comes over and like starts adjusting knobs on my amp. I yeah. I just fuck I just lose it. <laughs> and I don't touch my shit. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. Yeah, but that kind of thing, which they would never do to a guy. You know, right, just right. be like, You sound too trebly here. Let me uh set up your amp for you, you know. So that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, you know, is incredibly annoying. Um I feel like, you know, I'm older now and that makes a difference in how people treat you. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm 61. So I, I was treated differently when I was in my twenties. I was also had a really, really baby face for like a long time. So I looked like really, really, really young, even when I was like in my, my like thirties and, you know, early forties, mm-hmm. so much younger. And, and I feel like when you're kind of an older woman, you get less of that than when you're mm-hmm. a younger woman. I think like people don't want to People just assume you'll be grouchy or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, the, wor- the worst, it was, definitely, it was definitely worse when I was, like, in my 20s and looked like I was 16. You know what I mean? It was, like, mm-hmm. that was, like, the worst. I, you know, I think I would like to think that sexism has gotten a little bit better and I, in the music business. And, and I think that it has, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, but definitely experienced a lot of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I it, it's interesting because sometimes I think about that like there's like this there's sort of three things happening at the same time, right? Because it's like time is passing, but hypothetically society is getting more progressive. You, you know, have you know more people know who you are because you've been playing for longer. You've garnered a lot of like respect over the years, but then also your age is increasing. So it's like these three things are happening at the same time. Yeah. And it's hard to know like how those things are like interacting with each other. 
and that's just three. I'm sure there's others too, but like it's hard to parse it out. But I think about like how like is somebody who's like not as doesn't have as much like respect or notoriety as a musician like if that experience would be different or if it is because of age or if it's because of like now things are more progressive it's like it's hard to untangle all of those it's fascinating yeah <laughs> you know what it i mean is. it is yeah it is i mean i avoided most of the music store stuff because for years now i've been going to this really great music store in Alston called mr music and um the people mm -hmm. there are just very very cool so i kind of but I think even like a place a guitar center and stuff like that, I feel like people in music stores have gotten a lot better, a lot yeah. less judgy, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think people have been sort of forced to think about it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there other experiences as like, as a musician now, you know, versus like in the past that have, I guess, thinking about like how gender affects that at all, or is there, you know, have you noticed any changes over the years that you think are of note with regard to the industry? And I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to say. I mean, I've been on a record label that's run by a woman now for like, Oh, I was going to bring that up. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you. So, so <laughs> I have a literal question specifically about that. Yeah. So my, my boss is a woman. Um, no, yeah. she's not my boss, but you know, she, she's, she is sometimes, sometimes not, she is. not your boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So and I like that. I do like that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone that I know who is on Thrill Jackie has had a great experience. But I have thought specifically about that. Like if that has that dynamic has shifted your relationship or something with with labels. Yeah, I just I just like it because I mean me and me and Bettina have definitely butted heads somewhat. You know, like mm -hmm. she's pretty opinionated and um rarely. You know, I mean I'd, I'd say like less than a lot of other people I know. Like, but. At least when we do, like, I never, ever feel like it's because I'm a, a woman or something. Like, you know, right. just some, sometimes she'll be like, well, this is what I want to do. And I'll be like, eh. you know, I, I don't like it. But, yeah. you know, it's not about actual music and material. It's usually about, you know, release dates or wanting to change, you know, just like record label stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really, in, and I, but I've been on a lot of, also, you know, I've been on a, a number of record labels and, um, that were and Thrill Jockey is the only one I was on that that was run by a, a woman, and I do like that, you know, because I I don't mm -hmm. know why I just like it. It's not like not like the the men who ran the other labels were sexist or anything, but I just yeah I don't know. But I think even having that that thing where you can be like, oh, I I don't think I never have to question like, never, are yeah. they saying this because I'm a woman? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like having that in the back of your mind is nice. I prefer you know. it if they were like, there's two record labels. They're exactly the same in every way, yeah. except one is run by a man and one's run by a woman. Which one do you want to be on? No, it's a, the mm. one that's run by a woman, but maybe <laughs> I'm sexist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's you're, you're changing your, you, you have a change in your experience with that, even if it's like yeah. because of all of the ways that society has sort of set up that dynamic, I guess, maybe, right? Just like I would always prefer a woman president, you know, over a man president. <laughs> like if they if they had the exact same sort of like yeah, yeah. policies and you know ideas, and I'd always mm -hmm, I'd always mm -hmm. choose. I just I just think it's time. <laughs> I'm We're so sick. Of, I'm so sick of we men running the there. world. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like particular like? Is there gear that you've always sort of wanted to? 
use that you haven't had access to or things that you've sort of been like, this thing seems really cool. I'd like to integrate this at some point. Um, they're not called like, they're not, it's not a tenor guitar, but like that, that Fender sort of like bass guitar or it's like a six string bass. Oh, like a bass six? Yeah, bass, bass six? six. Yeah, they kind of look like a Jaguar. Like yeah, that always yeah. looked really cool. And I saw, I saw this band yeah. when we were on tour that, it was just a drummer and this woman playing a bass six, and it was just so cool. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a guitar mm-hmm. and that she was just playing through, like, a really bassy sound. But she said, no, it's actually, it's actually a bass, and that seemed really cool. So that's something I've been, I've been curious about. Yeah. Yeah, but, and it, you know, I'd love to um, – yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm pretty – I've been pretty lucky to be able to try different stuff. I actually started off – playing in bands as a drummer and I was kind of into playing drums like mm-hmm. a long time ago and for a while I, when I was first starting out I had a roommate that was a drummer that had a drum set in the house and she would kind of like show me what she had learned in the lessons and I was re- kind of into drums and I kind of regret like not maybe pursuing that a little bit more I've kind of like lost like all of that now but that's something maybe maybe I wish oh. I, I could have done I'm, even when I was like a teenager I really wanted to play the drums but my parents were just like, no right. way. Right. No way. <laughs> yeah. Though I guess I had another friend whose parents, I don't know why, but she had to keep her drums in our basement. So I got to play them a lot. But um, yeah, so I was kind of in- very interested in drums and maybe maybe wished I could still play or, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, you should do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know. I know. That would be fun. The other day I was like, Ernie was trying to describe something he wanted on guitar and he couldn't really describe it. And I was like, well, why don't you just play on my guitar? I'll play your drums. And he did and it worked, but I was like trying to play what he was playing. I was just like, Oh my God. I mean, drums is really, it's a pretty hard instrument. You kind of have to play a lot, you know, it's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. I really, I do really like it. Yeah. I'm sure you have plenty of drum skills, but it is a different thing. Like when I used to teach guitar at um, girls rock camp, in Boston, it's now, which is now called something else. I think it's Boston Building. B-R-P-M. Yeah. But anyway, back then it was when I was doing it, it was called Girls Rock. And the drum class almost always seemed like the most fun class. Like, I was just like, I want to be in that class. Like, I would be teaching guitar and I'd be like, guitar is so hard and it's like so, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and then the yeah. drummers are just like, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's, I've always been attracted to the drums. but Yeah. Well, I think the fun thing about, like, camps and drums is that, like, you get everybody in this giant circle of drums, and it yeah. just sounds so epic. You're yeah, I like, love it. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I love drums. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So we're, we're closing up here, but I do want to ask, so if you were speaking to folks in the industry, could be, like, gear folks, venue owners, other bands, whatever – who wanted to make change and they said like how do you what do you think we should do to make the industry better for everyone what would you tell them with regard to gender and identities i think you know it's 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 if you're like a club booker or a club owner or something that you know that you have a good mix of gender in your employees i think that makes a big difference mm. i think a lot of times you know it's becomes this, this sort of like macho type thing, especially on the tech side of things or, you know, mm. stage side of things. So I think that would be helpful. I think it'd be great to have like more 
women running record labels and um, booking agencies and stuff like that. And you know, I think it's mm-hmm. still pretty underrepresented there. Um, yeah, I guess just yeah. just stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. Perfect. All okay. right. So how can people stay in touch with you? What do you have coming up? Like, can you share those with folks? Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, coming up, I've got some shows in the Boston area. Let's see. I'm playing, actually, I guess, actually, the next show that I have that will, on the 29th of September, I'm not sure if, if that's, this will be I'll, up I think by that'll then. make a cut. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm playing at this crazy place called the Dream Away Lodge in Beckett, Mass. And Whoa. I'm doing that as a duo with Karen Sarkisian on pedal steel guitar player. I've recently started wow. playing with a pedal steel player as part of Talia Zedek band. And me and her also do duo stuff sometimes. And so we're going to do that one together. And then the following Friday, I'll be with the whole band, the whole Tizetic band at the Lizard Lounge in Cambridge. And then I guess next from that is I'll have a couple shows with E coming up in December on the 15th at a new new club in East Providence called Myrtle with Hansy. And oh, I've heard of them. <laughs> and then the next night at O'Brien's with Hansy, Nurse and Soldier, and Hidden Fountain. And that's that's with my band E. And the two projects are, are really, really different from each other. So. Super different. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really different, I feel like so. I feel like if they're just if someone has not heard your music before, there's literally something for everyone. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> trying to cover all the bases. <laughs> That's right. I feel very good about it. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, I'm very much looking forward to everyone hearing this conversation and yeah. to uh, playing with you in December. Yeah, um, me too. Where, where on the internet should people find you? Where oh, would right. you like to direct them? I guess I probably use Facebook the most. Okay. Um, I do have Bandcamp page. Um, he is pretty active on Bandcamp for my other stuff, that the solo stuff and the Tajazetic stuff, that Tajazetic band stuff, that goes through Thrill Jockey. So you can find me on Bandcamp and stuff like that, but that will be through the label, not through me. But yeah, Facebook is, is where I tend I do Instagram too, but that would probably Facebook is the is the best place to find out about goings ons. Perfect. And there are many. So Yeah. 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 <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well thank you so much All for right, taking time today. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Have you. a great day. Thanks so much to Talia for joining me, and I hope you would take a minute to check out all of her amazing projects, which you can learn about more uh, via the links in the show notes. And as I'd mentioned, I mean, really, is she just has something for everyone, so a, a true national treasure. <laughs> uh, if you have any thoughts or questions, feel free to reach out at midriffpodcast at gmail.com or by Instagram. I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening.